Welcome in to the latest episode of the Think Deeper podcast. We're back once again uh, with a, an exciting, interesting topic, a somewhat controversial topic, uh, one that I think that, that needs a lot of examination in the church this week. We'll get to that in a minute. I'm your host, Jack Wilkie, once again joined by my brother, Joe Wilkie, and Will Harab. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Doing fantastic. Doing All fantastic. Right. Excited to talk about our topic. Yeah, yeah, this is one, we mentioned in the last couple episodes that we had outlined a good three, four months worth of, of shows uh, at the end of 2021, and this was one of those that we kind of highlighted to think this is something we need to talk about. Um, I, I don't know, it, it's one of those ongoing things, uh, and, and so we'll just get into it, I guess. The idea of generation wars, uh, intergenerational relationships, um it's not anything new. This is not something that came on the scene in the last couple of years. It just, it's a cycle. You know, uh, you see stuff in the seventies and eighties about generations disagreeing and kids these days versus old folks and all that. Um, there's nothing new under the sun, but we do have different dynamics today. Uh, you know, every, every iteration of it is a little bit different. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, that phrase, okay, boomer, uh, kind of became a, a passive aggressive or, or just dismissive uh, phrase young people were using towards older people say yeah, yeah yeah whatever okay boomer um, but then you know on our end of the spectrum full disclosure we all we run from the the younger side of things millennial and zoomer uh, I guess is what we fall into um, we get real tired of hearing about well those millennials they just don't want to work though you know they they're selfish they're this that and the other thing the i me generation the the most selfish generation well hold on now you know and and so we all kind of shoot arrows at each other and and that's not really a good thing is zoomers the the name for gen z now that, I mean, it's one of them. Gen Z, Zoom. I didn't even know that. Oh yeah, yeah. That's uh, learn something new every day. Tell you, you what. There I you think go, both of I think I think both of y'all are millennials. I think I'm the only Zoomer here. I could be wrong I'm about a, that, but I'm pretty. Yeah, I'm a '94. I think '96 uh, is the cutoff for millennial. I think depending on who you go by. But right. um, well, no, congratulations, this, Joe. Yeah, right. I like that. I just slipped into the super selfish generation. Yeah, so that's great. So no, we, um, we do represent the younger contingency of it. So like I said, correct. full disclosure. Um, we are going to try. I will, we, we, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's just going to say we are going to try to be as fair um, about this as possible. We recognize that um, us coming from the younger side and beating the old people over the head. Uh, no, that's not what we're looking to do. Uh, we are. We want to provide a level of fairness and openness about both sides of some really good things that they provide, some really uh, maybe not as good things they provide. Because and on that note, um, the reason for discussing this on this episode, if there's one thing that hopefully both sides can agree on, that is older generation and younger generation, is that there is an issue. There is a disconnect that right. is going on both uh, when it comes to society, when it comes to the church. Neither side, no matter how much we want to point fingers at the other, can honestly say, well, no, there's not an issue. No, there, there's no disconnect. There's no problem. The truth of the matter is that there is, whether again, it be society or in the church, there is a disconnect that is going on between the older generation, and the younger generation. And the only way to at least begin to fix the problem is to number one, address it. And to number two, ask, 
You know, what are the reasons for this? Why is it that that we've done started to do a lot of finger pointing? We've started to do a lot of blame casting. And so those are some of the things that we want to answer in this episode as well. Yeah. And to point. No, go ahead. Sorry, go for it. I was just um, going to say that um, biblical, biblical wisdom undergirds this whole thing. It is God's plan for his church, for his people, for those that, that bear the name Christ, uh, Christian, to have unity, to share love, to tolerate one another, to bear with one another, uh, these differences that we bring to the table. Um, you could extend Galatians three twenty seven. you know, about in, in Christ there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, and slave nor free, all of those things to young and old. Now, in all those, he's not saying those don't exist anymore. He's just saying the division between them uh, in God's eyes does does not hold, you know, that... that all are one in Christ. All are brought together in Christ. Those walls are brought down. And that's a really important thing for the church because there is this division in the culture. We've got to show a better way. Right. The importance of, of these relationships, uh, I think, has been forgotten over the last little while as there's been so much division. Like, why is this important and why are we discussing it? Because we feel this is very important. There is so much scripture backing up the older, teaching the younger, the younger looking to the older. Um, and taking over for them, right? Like passing things down through the generations and kind of the second Timothy two, two approach of Paul passes to Timothy to other men to pass down, you know, even though that's in the realm of, um, maybe evangelism, I still think it holds true for how this is supposed to work, uh, passing things down. So these relationships are very important, but if you were to look at the world, nobody would think that you would think that it's both sides are doing their own thing frustrated at other sides we want to bridge the gap and so that's i think what this episode is about is hopefully learning how or at least discussing um roundtabling this as you might say to figure out how do we best bridge this gap well and, and let me ask you guys this to in response to somebody who might say well yes the generations you know maybe we don't communicate as well but isn't that just how it's always been in other words these are people that saying yes that's the way it is but is it really a big deal you know typically every generation thinks that the generation after them is is less capable maybe is less smart and so this this is a concept that as jack said there's nothing really new under the sun so how would you guys answer people who would say yeah that's kind of I mean, yes, that's how it is, but what's the big deal about it? Why Why is it such a big deal that we do bridge this gap? I mean, older folks are going to do what older folks want to do. Younger folks are going to do what younger folks want to do. So what's the big deal? How, how would you answer that? Yeah, I mean, the, the kids these days versus those old dinosaurs, it is something that repeats over and over and over, but that's just that's uh, human nature and as we're talking about in christianity we get away from the ugly parts of human nature i was thinking about uh and my wife and i this drives us crazy you know the the christmas songs uh, that we hear every year uh, and not not too long ago i heard this one obviously um uh beginning to look a lot like christmas mom and dad can hardly wait for school to start again and you know boy we just got to yeah. get these kids out of the house and you hear people talk about oh, teenagers and stop Stop, stop hating each other. Let's lay the weapons down and figure out how to love each other. We're going to frustrate each other. That's the point of those bear with one another verses is your way of doing something and their way of doing something is going to be different and you're going to find a different way to do it. And, and I think that power struggle, you know, both sides look at it as, as those who are older, they, they've, they're experienced, they've been in power, they, they've had the authority in the church and society and the workplace, whatever else. 
And so they have that weight to throw around. The younger people are thinking, I'm up and coming, and someday you're going to be gone. And so it's not, you know, like you're a problem that I'm going to get out of the way. That's the wrong view to have toward each other. And Joe mentioned intergenerational relationships. Statistics, the Barna Group, others have have done, done studies on that's one of the key signifiers of whether or not a young person stays faithful, is if they have people in their church family of another generation who take them under their wing, who have a relationship with them. Um, Outside of their own age bracket. Exactly, exactly. Because we segregate ourselves. Young people hang out with young people. Old people hang out with old people. Your church has your your seniors group, your young marrieds group, your middle-aged group, your youth group, your kids' ministry. Singles ministry. Yeah, single, yeah, young professionals, college age, whatever else. And I understand you're going to want to, you're going to have more in common with and, and all those things. But there's really great benefit to mixing, to to parent and grandparent relationships in that setting. I think that's the uh, having more in common with, well, that's good, but it can also be an echo chamber. But specifically for teens into the college age, if you grow up and you're only talking to fellow teenagers, what happens when half your youth group falls away? Well, you're a lot more likely because those are the only people that you spoke with. Those are the only people you were connected with. So, yeah, it's important to – and we used to do, you know, going to Bear Valley, um, what do they call it? Um, Banquet of the Ages, Boda, right? Yeah. And so they'd have the younger serving the older. Great idea. Loved it, except that happened once a year. So the rest of the year, like, who is this old guy? You know what I mean? That's terrible. Instead, we should have been developing it throughout the year, but that's the right approach at least of – seeing how we can connect and man, some of the greatest conversations came out of that. But well, going back to your question, um, why has this changed? Why is this, you know, why discuss it now? Isn't this always the way that it's been? Uh, Here's what I would say to that. Social media has exploded things instead of, I got a few older folks in my church, my grandparents, um, I'll learn to connect with them. Now we get to see older people on Facebook, um, some of their, quote unquote, judgmental comments, whatever you want to say, um, the younger on, you know, getting to air their grievances on Twitter. And so there's so much animosity, so much more animosity that is being voiced. Maybe this was always present, but now you're surrounded by billions of people who are saying the same thing. So it's an echo chamber of the younger saying this to the older instead of, I feel disconnected from the older. Okay. Well, yeah, you think that, but you can see the brother. So-and-so who's 21 has a great relationship with his grandparents. Um, Okay, but if you get on Facebook or you get on Twitter or you get on TikTok or whatever you want to do, and you see that there are seven million people that all feel the same way about your grandparents, you know, about their grandparents, then it just further widens that gap. I feel like it entrenches our positions even more than has ever been the case before. And this last point before I um, you know, uh, again, I'll let you make your point here for a second, but the last thing I would say is with our desire to increase the longevity of our lives um, comes this idea of like old people, just, we want to extend life, but we don't like getting old. Uh, we don't like the idea of getting upwards in age because of death and we're uncomfortable with it. And with that comes a complete lack of respect for the wisdom that old people, you know, the older folks bring to our society and they get marginalized and pushed aside and they feel it. And then I think they fight back. So, um, I think that's making it worse as well as, as we get more and more afraid of old age, um, we're seeing that we just don't respect the older people the way that we should. And in turn, that creates just this animosity for them toward us as well. And it's a cycle that continues. Yeah. Well, and those are both really great points. And to touch on the first one, that was something that I was going to say 
is, you know, we nowadays tend to typically blame everything that we possibly can on social media. And without a doubt, there are many things that we can blame on social media. But I think what it is with these, you know, the generation wars, whatever you want to call it, it's a culmination of a lot of different things that are kind of reaching a boiling point at once. When you combine the fact that, like Jack talked about, we are doing everything we can to separate and segregate into different age groups. You combine that with the the social media explosion. You combine that with the fact that um, young people are not really learning how to communicate and interact with people outside of their own age bracket. You combine all those things and you see why you have young people who they look around an auditorium, they look around a church building. If they don't see anyone their age, what are they going to do? They're going to sit down. They're going to look at their phone. They're not going to try to reach out to um, communicate with anybody who's not in their age bracket. And I think all three of us would agree. And most people would agree that that's a pretty serious issue because you look at the new Testament, you look at, at what the scriptures teach about generations, uh, interacting. That's not what you see The you know, you don't see youth groups in the Bible. You don't see seniors groups in the Bible. And so that's one of the things that I've noticed, especially working with young people is you combine all these things. Like I said, social media segregation, um, not really, teaching them how to interact with people. You combine all those things and we shouldn't be surprised that we have young people. And I'm, I know I'm currently putting the, a lot of the onus on the young people. It does go both ways as we're going to discuss, but you see young people who they look past the gray headed. They look past, you know, people who move a little bit slower. They, they, they don't, they don't see the need to invest their time, invest their conversations with folks who are, you know, over 50 years old. And, um, that comes with youth. Part of it comes with youth, but part of it comes with something that all of us need to understand. And that is that we need to be teaching them. We need to be showing them the biblical value behind reaching out to those who are older than us. And again, it goes both ways. I know we're going to get to that a little bit later, but I think that's part of the issue as well. And there's so much being done to fracture families, fracture generation to isolate, well, really to isolate everyone down into individuals. And so then as an individual, you have to go out and find your family. Uh, I talk about this all the time. I'm sure I brought it up on the podcast before. Uh, it's it, every year the the late night TV shows, you know, all have their jokes and people joke about on social media of, oh, you're having to spend Thanksgiving or Christmas with family members you can't stand, and you know your uncle who voted for so and so, and again, just pitting people against each other. And I have been thinking about as we prepared for this, uh, at the end of Malachi, when I was talking about Elijah, you know, John the Baptist was going to come and then Jesus is going to come and it's going to, he's going to turn their, the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the children back to their fathers. That's what happens in Christ's reign is that love for each other, that care for each other, uh, not that, not seeing, seeing value in each other, not wanting to serve each other, um, all those things. And, and as Joe was saying, and I think it's a really interesting point. Nobody wants to be old. Well, the Bible has a lot of value on being old. In fact, you think about it, we joke about when somebody, you know, is, is in their 60s, 70s, 80s, they're having their birthdays. Oh, they're not old. They're this many years young. And, you know, you're only as old as you feel. I get what we're saying. But where we think of old as an insult, that's unbiblical. Uh, you know, gray hair is, is a crown of glory, it tells us. And wisdom belongs to the elderly. And, and all those things, that is an earned position. Uh, and, and really, you look at human history, the elders of a society, of a tribe, of, of whatever else, were who people respected and looked to for guidance, and now we don't have that. And so, let's get into, this is kind of our, our 
believe it or not, our first <laughs> item we wanted to talk about was the value of both sides. I think one of the, the keys to starting to develop these relationships and, and end the enmity between the two is young people realizing their older, you know, uh, their, their predecessors have value, the older people realizing the youth have value. Rather than looking at, you know, uh, well, the boomers or whatever else and all the things we disagree with about them, and rather than looking at those millennials or Generation Z and uh, all the, the issues, all the, the selfishness, all the, the, the complaints back and forth, appreciate each other. Look at the value that we have in each other. Uh, obviously, as I was just saying, the Bible says that there's wisdom among those who are older, right? There's maturity, uh, experience of things that they've been through that we haven't. Um, it's a recognition that I don't know everything, and somebody else has already been through a lot of the battles I'm already going through. There's value to that, and I should tap into that value. Well, and, and to add to that point, Joe and Jack, y'all both hit on the fact that we don't like the idea of getting older. We also don't like the idea of people telling us what to do. Yeah. We also don't like the idea of authority. We don't like the idea of the fact that maybe somebody who's 20 years older than me might know a little bit more than me about you know certain issues, about certain things, certain experiences that they went through. We don't like that either. And so to combine those two together, you know, again, you want to avoid being old as long as you possibly can. And also with a, with a general disdain for somebody telling you what to do or, or authority, you can see why we get to this point. And that's, again, incredibly unbiblical, this notion of, of no matter what your, your age is, the idea that, well, those who are older than me don't have anything new to tell me. Why is it that so many times in scripture, gray hair and old age is synonymous with wisdom? You know, why is it that all throughout Proverbs, all throughout Psalms, and again, really throughout the scriptures, old age and gray hair is something that is, like you said, Jack, not used as an insult. It's something that is used as something to be admired, something to be, uh, something to emulate, something to strive for. And so that, again, we don't teach that anymore. And I think that's, that's part of the issue as well. I think part of the issue, this takes off of on a different tangent, but the postmodernism, there is no such thing as truth. I'll find my truth. Older people have truth. They've lived through it. They have an experiential truth. They have a, a knowledge truth um, of not just the experience, but they're studied. They've read things. They have, they have been through it. They've seen this. They've looked at other people. Um, they bring a knowledge and a, a sense of truth that we struggle with in our young age. But when you have postmodernism, which again, public schools, things like that. We've talked about it before. That's going to push that idea of, well, you need to find your truth, seek out your truth. What's wrong with just saying, I don't have the truth right now, but maybe somebody does. And maybe it's somebody older. We often go to kids in our generation and look to them for wisdom. Pretty much. Uh, we'll get on social media. What are people saying on Instagram? And, oh, they're older. Yeah. They're 35. Well, I'm 27. So, you know, this 35 year old guy, who's just an amazing public speaker, he knows so much. Uh, go talk to your grandparents. Sometimes when you ask them, what was it like for you? Or what do you think about this? Um, you may be saying to yourself, well, I can't speak to my grandparents like that. Maybe your grandparents have passed, whatever it may be. Um, find somebody who is older. They bring such value and experience. And don't be surprised. I'll say this. We're going to get into this a little more later, I think. But don't be surprised if at first they don't engage you quite well. I went to speak with them and they didn't, you know, they had nothing to say to me. They, this is new to them too. Um, they're not used to that connection, but 
maybe we got to work a little harder to mine this and recognize they do have value. And I'm willing to chase that value out for them. I'm willing to chase that wisdom and come to them time and again and build the relationship where it's not a one-off of, hey, what should I do here? I don't know. I haven't spoken to you in two years. No, value this relationship and the maturity and, and uh, everything you mentioned, Jack, of, of the wisdom and experience and what they bring. Um, we don't have it all together. That's okay that we don't. They yeah. may not have it all together, but they probably have a better idea of where you should go from here. Val- you don't have to take their advice, but at least value the fact that they maybe have seen more than you have. Well, the idea there's nothing new under the sun is uh, is a very true one that has a lot of application, and this is one of them um, that you know when it comes to parenting, marriage, walking the Christian walk, career. People have been down the road we've been down. Why not use that knowledge? In fact, it's it's a lack of wisdom to not use that knowledge and not value it. Um, I'm reading a book right now called uh, Deep Nutrition, in which the author is talking about how throughout human history, people have not been unhealthy as they are right now. You know, heart disease, obesity, everything else. And one of the things she studies is she goes back to Every culture had certain staples in their diet. Every culture around the world had certain things in common, and they passed them down. But it's really amazing how she talks about, you know, people up in in northern Canada, in the igloos, you know, things they figured out and, you know, passing down, you need to do this and you need to do this and things that make no sense. And then when we got scientists in there to experiment with what they were doing, it's, oh, that is a way of developing a nutrient you have to have to live in this climate that... They don't know why they did it, but it was passed on and passed on and passed on, and now we know. Whereas, you know, now, rather than having those passed on things that that we've known for generation upon generation upon generation, it's run through McDonald's, go to the grocery store and get something out of a box, you know, and and all of that passed on knowledge died about 50 years ago. It's convenient. It's convenient now. All about convenience. It's all about speed. And it takes a little while to sit down with an older person who's moving a little slower, maybe thinking a little slower than they were 40 years ago, and to work on their relationship. You know, it's a lot faster jumping on Google, right? Making a you know an Instagram or a Facebook post, and you know shooting something off on Twitter and seeing. Um, going to a friend that you've spoken with all the time, a college buddy, whatever it may be. It takes time and effort and an intentionality that they had back then. That. We are just, we want the fastest answer possible. We live in a very fast world. Yes, you'll have to slow down sometimes to get this wisdom, but I think we're going to be way better off for it if, if we just valued that. But let's let's flip it. What value do you guys think? Because we've, you know, we're talking about the older. What do you think youth, the value of the youth is in our culture? And what do you think they provide to this intergenerational relationship here? Well, being the the youngest person on the, this podcast, I feel like I'm the most appropriate it, yeah. person to answer. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, not kidding that I'm the youngest, but um, no. I, and that's again when when we're trying to bridge this gap, those are the questions that we really need to address. What is the value of the older? What is the value of the younger? And to me, when you're, if I'm going to focus it on the church, which that's kind of where I'm going to put my focus on for this question, what are the what is the value that younger generations can add that maybe the older generations can't? There are many, there are you know several different things we could talk about, but one of them, uh, to me, that is, again, would be would be specific to the younger generation, is the, you know the idea of maybe challenging some things that we've just always done traditionally without much scriptural backing, and you know before anybody jumps and says, well, why are we just you know challenging things the way we've always done it? 
that can be a huge issue between the generations is you've got certain people that, well, that's just the way we've always done it. Why do we need to change it? And then you've got the younger generation that says, well, hang on a second. Why do we do it this way? You know, is, is there an advantage to maybe changing things up a little bit? And they, again, we're not going to get necessarily into, you know, all the pitfalls that can come from trying to change things, but young people bring a certain perspective uh, just like older folks bring a certain perspective, young people can bring a certain perspective that to me uh, can really go a long way in in changing maybe the way that we look to evangelize. You know, let's be honest, the things that we use 30 years ago to reach out and evangelize to people don't really work anymore, or at least if they do, they don't work, you know, nearly to the level that they did 30 years ago. And so, you know, the the, the change in perspective that young people can offer is, hey, that really worked 30 years ago. Let's try this. Let's try this this new technological update. Let's try these new uh, marketing styles. Let's try, you know, whatever it is. But you think about all the the ways that that evangelism uh, has has changed over the last 30 years. Where did a lot of those perspectives come from? You know, if we stick to doing the same, you know, tracks and and uh, gospel meetings and door knocking, you know, not to you know, cast any aspersions on them, but let's be real for just a second. You think about the things that were popular 40 or 50 years ago, like tent meetings in the middle of summer. Those were huge back in the sixties and seventies. How successful are those today? They're not, you know, people have so much to do so many things that they're, uh, that fill up their calendars. They're not going to come on a Tuesday night in the middle of August to, to listen to, to an hour and a half's worth of, of gospel meeting. And so we have to change up some of the, some of the methods, not that we're changing the message, but we have to change up some of the ways that we're reaching out and approaching, you know, those who are lost, those who are outside of the church. And I think young people can, you know, again, not to change the message by any means, don't get me wrong, but we can adapt and with the culture, take a look at what are the things that we're doing well? What are the things that we're not doing so well? And why are we sticking to them if they're not working? There's that joke about, um, uh, you know, if, uh, got a lesson series on uh, confronting the changing culture. Send a check to this address and I'll send you the cassette tapes. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. We, we need the knowledge that comes with knowing the change and, and, and the growth and, and the way, you know, that that without youth, we stagnate. I think that's always been right. That's a, that's something that we've been fairly harsh on the younger. I think that's something the older need to understand is our shift in perspective, our, our curiosity, our energy to change things. Um, that's a blessing. And somewhere along the way, I think that became a curse to them. Uh, you guys are just trying to take us liberal. You guys are, you know, where you're sending this nation downhill so fast and, so there's a lot of blame being pushed yeah. on that, but that's always been the way that it is. But you think about it too, from the perspective of the older generation, and it's it's somewhat understandable. If somebody's coming along telling you, hey, guess what? The way you've always done it, yeah, that, that's wrong. We need to change it. You can kind of understand the, you know, the animosity that might come, the, you know, how dare you, you know, this is the way we've always done it. Who are you to tell me? Not that that's correct. Not that that's, you know, the way that we need to go about things, but you can kind of see where some of these, you know, gaps, sure. some of these uh, rifts can happen if, if the younger generation is coming along and saying, you know, hey, sorry, that doesn't really work anymore. It's it's all about the way that we go about make, installing those changes. Bingo, bingo. I was thinking like humility is that foundation, right. right? If the older is humble, they're willing to see or say, yeah, we've done it this way for 70 years, but I'll be humble. I'll listen. It doesn't mean it's right. But for the young, younger to come along and go, well, this is naturally better. No, be humble. 
be right. respectful and, and recognize the value of what has come before. But if we're humble with each other, which is pushed so very much, um, you know, in the old or in the new Testament of how we approach each other, uh, I think that's kind of the key to bridging some of this gap, which we'll get to a little more later of how we bridge the gap. Well, I think, I think that actually pushes us right into our, our second step here. The first is the value that each one brings. The older bring wisdom, experience, the, the knowledge to navigate situations that, that the younger haven't been through. The youth bring that, that energy, that curiosity, that, that understanding of the changing times. Uh, and so we need each other. But that second one we have to talk about is the pitfalls where the problems that each of us face that keep these these generation wars going that we talked about at the start the things that that make us skeptical of each other make us distance ourselves from each other uh and for both sides the first thing is pride pride is the biggest pitfall Uh, for younger people it's the pride of nobody that came before me knew anything and i've got to reinvent all of the wheels the pride or the the for the older it's Young people don't know anything. My way is best. I, you know, I, I, we've had it all figured out, and, and we don't need anybody to tell us different. Both sides have to have uh, a, an approach and an idea that I could be wrong. Uh, as, yep. as a younger person, we have to look and say, you know what? I, I feel like uh, you guys heard of Chesterton's fence. G.K. Chesterton? Yeah, G.K. Chesterton. I haven't heard the fence, had, no. It's this principle he talks about of when you come to a fence... Uh, and it, you know, a lot of times the first instinct is we need to knock this down. It's in the way. Let's get rid of it. And he says you you should not go about knocking a fence down until you know why it was put up. And that's a really important, deep, profound thought. That okay, you might have your reasons for getting rid of it, but somebody had a reason for putting it there. It's not there for nothing. And if you don't right. know why it was there, then you don't have the right to take it down. And, you also and so, need to understand how much fences cost these days. And, uh, <laughs> right. So, you know, don't take it for granted. <laughs> yeah. Save that expensive. material at the very least. Um, but, uh, it, you know, as, as young people, we you see these traditions, you see these, you know, these cultural things, these, these habits that people have or whatever. And when you think, why do we do this? Uh, you know, or, or, well, we don't need this. This is in the way of the progress we want to make. This is the way in the way of our ideas. Let's tear it down. As point holds. Until you know why somebody established that. Now, on the other hand, you've heard the story of the the ham cut in half. I was going to mention that one. Yeah. Okay, that's the other end. I mean, there's really the two sides of it. Of you know, okay, the the mom is teaching her daughter. Or every time you take a ham, cut it in half and put it in the pot. Uh, okay, why do we do that? I don't know. My mom just taught me to do that. Well, okay, calls <laughs> grandma. Grandma, why do we do that? I don't know. My mom calls great grandma. That's because my pot wasn't big enough. Like, you know, and, and it got perpetuated, like, that's what we must do. And now they know that the reason for doing it is not valid anymore. We don't have to do it anymore. On the other hand, sometimes you go, why was this fence built? Oh, it's a really important fence. I can't tear this down. But when when, when both generations come with the pride, the young saying, I'm moving out anything that gets in my way, and the older saying, we have to do it the way my, I've always done it because I'm right, and, and both sides saying, I'm right, we're going to do it my way, that's where the problems arise. Specifically when it comes to the church, what is our number one goal? Together it is to glorify Christ, right? It is to help each other get to heaven. I mean, it's it's Christ-focused. Well, that's what we're looking to do here is if the younger is Christ-focused, they're not going to be doing off-the-wall stuff of, well, let's bring in the woman preacher and everything else. It's We're Christ-focused, right? We're going to try to stick as close to Scripture as we see. But what if we, you know, how could we, um, 
I don't, I don't know. I don't want to get, you know, too far into the weeds of what, you know, on these examples, but just questioning things. Um, I know a guy who was questioning <clears throat> at a specific church, specific place, and he was just questioning baptism. Why do we baptize? And people got ticked at him for it. Don't get ticked. Explain it to him. There's a reason. Right. Show it, yeah, right. Show it to him. Show it to him. Don't get frustrated that he's asking questions, um, that he's challenging these things because we'll come to the right conclusion on it. But when the older are looking to Christ, when the younger are looking to Christ, the younger may come with a fresh perspective, but everything is run through the lens of, is this going to glorify God and bring me closer to Christ? Then the, the older come to it and they say, okay, is this, maybe is this a better way to, to glorify God and to bring us closer to Christ? Maybe a different way that we did it. Humility, but then also the similar foundation built upon Christ. But if the foundation of the youth is going to be about, um, you know, the energetic culture and getting people in the church and getting people excited about X, Y, or Z. Now, is Christ the foundation here or is your own pride or the numbers of the church? How many people we bring in? Is that the foundation or is it actually being closer, becoming more like Christ in, in everything that we do? So I think it's just a question of both sides have to question what their foundation is. I think the older side can be in the foundation of strict traditionalism. This is what we do instead of we do it because we love Christ. And if we, if we love Jesus the way that we should, yeah, I'd be open. So, you know what I mean? Like, I think the foundation is just a, a big part to this, that both sides, if they were to check themselves um, and just dig deep and say, why am I bringing this to the older members? Or why am I refusing this? They may come to the conclusion that I'm not really grounded on Christ. I'm grounded on tradition or I'm grounded on change for the sake of change, uh, not bringing me closer to Jesus. And I think that can be, um, you know, a big pitfall for both is just where they decide to, to pitch their tent, so to speak, um, or what their foundation is. Well, and, and on that note about pride, uh, this is just my opinion, but I think if, if pride wasn't an issue for either side, you know, if that wasn't an element, if that wasn't a pitfall, this wouldn't even be a big enough discussion to be worth having. Right. You know, if, if the older generation, you know, set aside their pride and said, we might not have it all figured out. And if the younger generation did the same and said, you know, just because, you know, we're 25 and have a college degree doesn't mean that we know everything. You think about how many problems that would eliminate, combine that with communication. You know, I'm a firm believer that communication solves just about every type of problem that you can imagine. We're not communicating very well. I know we kind of touched on that at the beginning, but in between the generations, we're not communicating very well. And I think social media has played a, a big role in that as far as talking about pitfalls for the younger generation. That being, you know, that, that social media and, and internet relationships can be appropriate substitutions for real relationships. Mm -hmm. That's not the case. And, and it's, sometimes it's so difficult for young people to, to grasp that, that sure, your, your 800 Facebook friends, you know, how many of those, you know, do you actually have a real relationship with four, five, less than 10, more than likely. And it's, I think that, you know, just when we're talking about pitfalls, that can be an enormous pitfall for the younger generation is assuming that these online relationships, these social media relationships can be appropriate substitutes for the relationships that you can have with people who are older than you, people who are wiser than you, people that you interact with on a weekly, hopefully more than a weekly basis. If we're talking about a church, getting back to these real relationships that, you know, you see throughout Acts 2, you see throughout Acts 4, really the entire book of Acts, that has to be something that we focus on. And for that, you do tend to put a little bit more onus on the young, younger generation because they're so lasered into, you know, focused on their social media and their internet relationships. That, I think we're going to have to have a full podcast on 
just relationships in general. Nobody knows how to have relationships. Sorry, Joe, go for yeah, it. Yeah, well, and, and the social aspect. Now, Joe had kind of gotten into this earlier, but like seeking for wisdom, we go to Google. Um, I remember a, a, a lady in the church uh, that my mom was friends with was lamenting that, man, I want to have a relationship with these younger women, but they're not turning to people like me for you know, how, for discipleship, for, for walking with God. They go to their fellow moms Blah, on Facebook. They've got a group, yeah. you know, on Facebook of everyone else their age. And it's like, that's not the design. The design, you know, we're going to talk about Titus 2 before we get out of here. Um, but that was the design. And so that is a pitfall for us as young people is the convenience, as we talked about, the instantaneousness of uh, the Internet. And, and one of the, the things closely tied to that is elevating the wisdom of our peers and the culture over the wisdom of those that have been there, uh, you know, of older Christians. Uh, you look at Rehoboam when he takes over from his father, King Solomon, and, you know, his older, wiser counselors that worked for his father said, man, your, your dad was really hard on the people. He put them through a lot of work. Let them rest. Take it easy on them. They're going to love you. They're going to enjoy the break because of how, how hard your dad worked them. And, you know, his, his buddies that he grew up with said, no, 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 crack down on them. Tell them that you're going to be even harder than your father, that, that you're going to crack the whip and, and, you know, just let them know who's boss, essentially. Well, you know what happened. It ended up splitting the nation of Israel in two, uh, led to the divided kingdom and all the, the issues that arose from that because he looked to the people he, his age rather than resorting to the wisdom of those that came before him. And so that's an error that we can make. And, and so these are the pitfalls of us as younger people, is assuming the, the prior generations have nothing to offer, assuming the fence has no reason and it needs to be torn down, and just doing what we want rather than asking, rather than having the humility to seek out relationships and say, you know what, there's a lot I don't know, help me, show me the way. Let's, uh, let's shift gears to the, the pitfalls for the older. You know, we talked about pride being the overarching thing for both of them. Uh, for the older, one of the, the pitfalls I've seen in comments to articles we've had on Focus Press, different things like that, is one of the best ways to teach wisdom is to tell somebody, hey, here's a mistake I made, don't make it again. Don't, you know, learn from my mistake, learn from my stumbles. If you can't say you've made mistakes, guess what you can't do? You can't teach, teach somebody else how to avoid your mistakes. If you can't look back and say, I shouldn't have done that, you know, as a parent, this was, was wrong, uh, you know, my marriage, this was wrong. And, and we've had things where we've written articles on, you know, this, that, the, these, these cultural things that arose, why we've got such a youth dropout rate, why, you know, the, the ways that the church has gone astray and trying to call us to, we need to do better in the future. And man, the defensiveness we get. No, we didn't do it wrong. You know, it's just, it's somebody else's fault somebody stop passing the buck at a certain point somebody's got to take the blame or not the blame but the responsibility and defensiveness anytime we have that defensiveness it comes from pride rather than grounding our identity in god and saying i don't need to defend myself you know i can say i when i did right it was right when i did wrong i did what was wrong what i always say in therapy is because you got a lot of people i don't want to blame them right and i say it's not about blame it's about putting the responsibility on the appropriate shoulders and being able to take responsibility on your shoulders for the part that you play. We're not looking to cast blame onto either side, but who's responsible for this? And it frustrates me to no end that who is the one that's always talking about how to keep young kids faithful? Younger people? Does it not seem that way to me? Jack, you, you, you've got a, an entire seminar on this, right? Of the lost generation. Um, you're a younger guy. Every guy that I know that really seems to be dialing in on this 
for the most part, I'm sure somebody would be like, well, there's the one guy yet. I mean, there's always going to be exceptions. Surely there's an older guy talking about it, but for the big name people talking about it and the big things that are putting out there, they're younger guys. Why are we, this is where a little of frustration, my frustration comes through. Why are we as the younger having to coach people on how to keep the younger people faithful? Why are the older not looking at that going sirens are going off? This is horrible. We're losing people. We're losing our kids. We're devastated that our kids have walked away from the church. We've got to do something. Because to do so would be for them to admit that what we've done the last 20, 30 years has been flagrantly flawed. And I think that's that's the obstacle. Well, you see this this taking responsibility thing thing on more trivial matters. I I posted about this on Facebook uh, back in November or December um, where you see, oh, young people can't drive a stick shift. Young people don't know cursive. Young people and their participation trophies. Whose fault is that? If, if we don't know those things, it's because somebody didn't teach us. Because you the, as a four-year-old decided to learn how to how to write cursive. Right. Like, And that that's part of the, the pride thing and the defensiveness thing and all that is, is that we got that phrase of you're born on third base and thought you hit a triple. If mm. you grew up in a generation where your parents taught you all of these things, you were incredibly blessed. And if the generation after you doesn't know those things, that's your fault, not theirs. That's your responsibility, not theirs. And that pride comes in, and, and and it takes more serious forms. Again, youth falling away from the church, or, you know, I've heard older Christian ladies talking about, man, so-and-so is dressed so immodestly. Like, she doesn't know anything. Go tell her. Go help her see that. And and you know what? There's a chance you go and tell her, and she, you well, know, and pushes back, and she doesn't like it. Then you get into the youth pitfalls of it, of that side of the pride. Right. But don't, don't assume, don't pass on the responsibility of teaching things that that have to be taught that's a great point i I know i touched on earlier the fact that you know you don't really see young people going up to older folks and seeking them out but at the same time let's look at the reverse of that how many older folks you know members of the older generation are perfectly fine with the young kids leaving them alone right how how many how many older members of a church are just fine with the young people sitting on the other side of the church building not really have any having anything to do with them they definitely don't want to go seek them out to, to, like you said, Jack, show them something, you know, from the Bible that maybe that they need to improve on. How many older folks are perfectly content to not have to work, not have to mess with young people, not have to worry about young people, you know, at all. Well, and, and I think that's part of, go ahead. I was going to say with that, you know, the young people know, or hopefully they know we're supposed to seek out the wisdom of the older, the older know we're supposed to mentor the older. And sometimes it might be the older waiting and going, well, they'll, they'll come to me. Well, they're just not coming to me. They don't care. And the younger people going, well, they're, they're supposed to come to me and take me under their wing, and they're not doing that, so they don't care. Somebody's got to cross the gap, but the onus should be on the older, more mature Christian. That, that, that you know, both of them have a responsibility here, but I think more of the responsibility falls to the more mature person, you know, to whom much right. has been given, much is required. Agreed, and, and that's part of the enormous issue is you, like you said, you've got the younger folks that need to be seeking out the older generation and you've got the older generation that needs to be taking the younger under their wing and neither in a general sense, neither one of them is happening in the church today. Again, that's a general statement. I know there are folks that are a part of the older generation that are taking younger folks under their wing and vice versa, but from a general sense, that is not happening in the vast majority of congregations. And then we wonder why we have these generation wars that exist today. Well, they don't want to hear from me. Right. They I have nothing that they're going to want. Like, don't assume that you very much do. But you also have to show that you are good to have a relationship with them. And the other thing is, when you look down on the younger generation for not having it together. Look, kids are going to push boundaries. We know this from parenting, from from the way that 
again, uh, you just follow parent. Kids are supposed to push boundaries. It's good for kids to push boundaries. Is it frustrating? Absolutely. Are they going to, you know, engage in their own pitfalls? Absolutely. It's all part of the growth process. We, as the parents, were given our kids to help shepherd them in the right way, in the way of the Lord, right? But fully expecting them to make mistakes along the way, knowing they will and, and helping them learn from those mistakes. When you, if you were to look down on your kid and be like, you just make so many mistakes. Wow. You know, or, well, there's not really anything that I could do. I remember, um, Bodie Bauckham one time, um, is a Baptist preacher. Again, he's Calvinist, but, um, he made a good point, which was basically guy lays bricks his entire life. You know, he's been laying bricks for the last 50, 60 years and younger guy comes up to him and goes, Hey, you know, I, can you teach me how to lay, lay some bricks? It's, that's something I'd love to do is be a great bricklayer. Oh, I don't know anything about no bricks. I don't know how to do that. We get that a lot. Uh, well, I just don't know about scripture. You better know about scripture. You've been Christian 60 right. years longer than I have. Why are you acting like, well, I, I don't know. We're in the same boat together. Uh, no, we're not. If you are on the same level 60 years later, that's a problem. And I think Hebrews, and there's a few other places I could point to, you are intended to grow. You should not be on milk. You are the one eating meat. And the same way that a parent is to help their kids, I think it's the same thing here is the older need to recognize you do this. We speak to this. The younger need to recognize the older have wisdom. If you're an older person in this podcast, please recognize you have wisdom. Right. Don't downplay that. And well, maybe part on, of that wisdom is. I, I will say with that, if you don't have wisdom, you have messed up and, and it's time to start getting some. Like if you, right. Because yep. it's entirely possible that somebody's gotten into their 60s and 70s and can't teach somebody a Bible verse. You should be ashamed of that. You, you yeah. really should, that if, if you've been a, a Christian, been attending, you know, faithfully for 40, 50 years, and you couldn't sit down and teach somebody how to have a devotional life with God, how to pray. That should you, be the bare minimum. Right. There, there's some work right. to start doing on, on your end. And I think it goes back to what you were saying about nobody wants to consider themselves old. We don't like old. We don't like, you know, being the old person or whatever else. And so you don't want to move into that point where it's like, I'm the veteran, I'm the person who's been around. I'm the one. Now that responsibility where the parents, you know, it's kind of the holiday meals. You know, mom makes Thanksgiving. Grandma makes Thanksgiving. You know, the aunts and uncles pitch in. And at a certain point, you look around and go, oh, I'm one of those people that's supposed to make a dish now. And at a certain point, you get to the point and go, oh, I've got to make the turkey now. Like, mm-hmm. you, you grow into that role. you got to do that in the church, too. You've got to yeah. start growing into that mentor thing. I mean, we've brought up Titus too, where it talks about the the older women take the younger women, teach them to love their husbands, to love their children, you know, to uh, to, to do the things they're supposed to do. That kind of relationship should be one that younger women are seeking out and older women are seeking out. Um, the Great Commission: Make disciples, teach them to observe all that I commanded you. We brought up Second uh, Timothy two two of Paul telling Timothy, "I taught you; you find faithful men, teach them, and they can teach other people." This is the cycle of, of passing things on. And as as we've said, if if you've been in the Christian in the church for decades, if you've been a Christian for decades, and you don't you aren't actively seeking out other people in relationship to love them, serve them teach them, guide them mentor, them, mentor them, pray with them, pray for them, start. It's time. And well, and one of the things that I would suggest too, we, you know, our last couple episodes that we talked about were about making, you know, New Year's resolutions, making goals, trying to improve yourself. Uh, you know, here we are, we've started and started a new year. If you are an older 
person. And, you know, you have Bible knowledge, you have wisdom to share, make that a goal, make that a resolution, make that something that you strive to improve upon is that you don't just pass the younger person in the hallway, you know, and say, how you doing? Good morning. Good to see you and move on. You take them under your wing. You know, you, you see what are ways that you can spend time with them? What are ways that you can show them some things that maybe you've learned along the way, again, rather than just passing them in the hallway and seeing them once or twice a week and, and not knowing anything more about them, seek out those opportunities. If you've never done it before, it's going to be awkward at first. It's going to be tough. It's not going to come naturally. But again, use this new year, use this as a platform, as a springboard to say, I'm going to start trying to bridge the gap. And it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen instantly. But nothing is, if, if we continue the way that we're, that we're going, nothing's ever going to change. In fact, it's only going to get worse. And so again, whether you're an older person or a younger person, we would encourage you use this new year as a, as a platform to say, I'm going to start being a part of the solution rather than a part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And that takes a lot of humility to recognize. Maybe I have been part of the problem. And there's even wisdom. If you are 60 or 70 and don't know much of your Bible, as Jack said, that's not good at all. Have the humility maybe to say, man, I've really messed up. Even there's, a little bit of wisdom or at least self-awareness that you can pass down to the younger generations and that I haven't been as devoted as I need to be. You know, I'm, I'm working on that myself. Even that is better than kind of sitting up in a high tower and well, one day you'll be like me. No, they won't. They're walking away from the church at, at historically high rates because they're not looking, they're not building these, you know, and I was thinking, well, as you were talking past in the hall, like you never know if, you know, little Billy, the 17 year old who's getting bullied at school Maybe if you were to start a conversation with him in a relationship, he's never going to tell you on the first, second, or probably third time. But maybe if you build the relationship where he knows he can trust you, he might tell you that. And maybe in your history, you remember getting bullied at a young age. You remember what you did to get through that. And now you're helping somebody else. And and maybe it has nothing to do with scripture, but you are there to provide wisdom, provide support. And now he's got this connection that he's about to go off to college in a year or two, right? And he's going to remember what you did. And when he comes back home from college, he's going to connect with you. And he's going to tell you about, you know, what's been going on in his life and how college is going. Now we have a relationship and it started by you reaching out consistently, not on the first one, but consistently and getting in somebody's life. You don't know the impact you might be able to have just to sit there and listen to what a young person may be going through and don't get discouraged if they don't tell you right off, right off the bat. Um, You know, give it some time, push for it. But I guess, so let's get into this. I guess this is where we can kind of end. Yeah, this is the final notch on the outline here. What it should look like. Right, what, what should it look like? And and for a young person, it, you know, if you're younger, it starts with honoring the older. It is an attitude. It is reading those verses about, you know, hair, gray hair being a crown of glory, you know, uh, uh, how God honors that. Um, where we push old people aside into nursing homes and, and away from everybody else and give them their old people activities, their bingo or whatever else. Um, no, they need to be honored and they need to be served. Um, I think for both sides, you know, kind of where we talked about pride is the, the common pitfall on both sides. It just manifests differently. The, the solution, the, the action to take for both sides is the same. It just manifests differently. It's don't think about me. As a young person, it's this person deserves to be honored. This person deserves to be served. I, I need to seek them out. I need to make time for them. Uh, I need to make them feel important. You know, the idea that we were just going to push away our old people to go, you know, wait for their death, that's not okay by God's standards. And so uh, on that side, as, as young people, 
Start seeking older people out. Start looking for ways to serve them. Let them know they're important. Even if it's a phone call every now and then to, to an old shut-in or oh. a visit or, or anything like that. One thing I'll say on that before we move on to what it should look like for the older generation. If you're a young person and you're listening to this podcast, if there's one thing that I would recommend for you to do, it's get off your phone. There are certain times when you really just don't need to be on your cell phone. It, it's one of the biggest frustrations that I have, you know, walking into a church, uh, church building, a worship service on a Sunday morning, a Bible class, and you're on your phone. You're surrounded by people with wisdom. You're surrounded by people who are of like-minded, of like-minded faith, people that, you know, you are on a path to heaven with, and you can't get off your phone for 10 minutes before service starts because you're do- doing whatever it is, you know, and all of us, you know, can be tempted to, well, we don't want to talk to anybody. Let me just get on my phone. Let me encourage you, in addition to, to doing what Jack said, as, as far as change your attitude towards older people, first of all, some of that's going to have to come with putting your phone down. Some of that's going to have to be with turning it off and, and going and, and starting to establish those real life relationships as opposed to the internet, social media relationships that are so much easier, but so, so much less valuable. And part of that is getting out of the echo chamber of your friends. It's easy to sit in the youth group week after week and have your buddies. And that's fantastic. I'm glad you do. Um, how many older people do you know their names? Do you know their, their birthdays? Do you know their likes and dislikes? Yes, it's important. We'll get into that in a second for what the older should do. But for the younger, it's so easy to sit on the front row or to sit on your, your teen row. And so you get done with teen class, you come into the auditorium, you're joking, maybe you're on your phone, exactly as you said. You worship, you get done, you're still talking to your teen buddies, you go outside, you get in the car with your family and you go home. Did you interact with anybody else other than the teens on that Sunday? Did you reach out? to, you know, old brother so-and-so, um, you know, did you, even somebody, even a different parent, just anybody, even if it's intimidating to go to the 80 year old in your congregation, did you talk to anybody in their forties? Did you talk to anybody in their fifties? Did you talk to anybody other than the youth group? So, um, you may go to congregation without a huge youth group. And I think that's, you know, that's great as well. The, the idea is build the relationships, whether you're in a giant youth group or not a youth group, are you consistently talking to people on a Sunday that are not of your similar within five years of you is what I would say. Um, maybe get in the habit of doing that, just reaching out to somebody, seeing how their week is going and show that you care for them just as much. Um, so I think, yeah, yeah. I, there's I guess there's a reason traditionally societies have upheld older people. They've kept them front and center. You know, they've, they've honored them and all that, and where ours is so backwards that we just shove them out of the way. I mean, euthanasia is a thing, and, you know, uh, of just all, all kinds of how many lonely people there are off to die by themselves. It's it's so sad. But the reason why you keep young people, or, I mean, older people in front of you is a reminder. They've been there and done that. They, they are to be honored. They have experience. All these things that we've talked about, uh, you know, I think about... Um, uh, Mima, my Mima, she lived uh, into her 90s. Um, you know, it, it wasn't the kind of thing where we had a, a real deep relationship or whatever, but every time Mima came over, we, if we were out playing football in the yard or whatever, you stop what you're doing, you go, you say hello, you give her a hug, you know, you, you, you talk with her for a minute because she's due that honor. She has earned that spot. Christians who have been there, done that, they have earned that honor. They have earned our attention. They have earned the, the love and, and all those things. 
that's a really important thing, number one, for, for all of us to uh, participate in, but number one, to teach your kids the same, even from a young age. My, my three-year-old, you know, goes and speaks to the uh, older ladies at church. It's, it's part of the life cycle, you know, uh, of that intergenerational relationship we talked about. So as a young person, make sure to uh, seek out and honor uh, the older people in that way. On the other side of it, the older, as I said, the same thing is don't think about me. For young people, it's, you know what, I might rather hang out with my friends, might rather be on my phone, as Will said, might rather just kind of be in my own world. And so not thinking about myself means going and talking to them, making time for them. On the older end, one of the the struggles I've, I've had sometimes with older Christians, they do a lot of talking about themselves. Um, that's not all of them. I'm not saying they're all this way. Um, but yeah, you might have stories to tell, you might have, you know, some interesting things. Show an interest in the younger people. One of the most powerful questions we have, and I'm trying to do more of, of asking this, I'm trying to make this more of a habit, ask somebody, how are you really doing? That goes a long way. It tells somebody, you're free to talk, and I care. Um, if If when a younger person comes around as an older Christian, all you want to do is just you know, share stories, uh, you know, so-and-so back in the day, whatever else. Uh, you know, th- there's one guy that comes to mind. Um, we were at kind of a men's retreat thing, and everyone was really pouring their hearts out, and I was going through a rough time, and I poured my heart out, and um, he had been a Christian, again, for decades, and, you know, he kind of looked at me. Well, you know, in 1960, something, I went to this one church, and, and this big-name preacher was there, and it was amazing getting to hear him preach, and I'm like, oh, okay, I... That's not who I'm going to talk to about my problems anymore. To be that spiritual mentor, you have to show the love. You have to show the investment in somebody to to take on that role. Well, do you do you care? I think ask yourself that question. That's kind of a rough, mean question, but truly, do you care? Because every day we're seeing kids leave the church. We're talking, we're almost up to 75% kids leaving the church. Three out of four youth in your church as you look across will be gone by the time they get back from college and they won't ever come back from college. That's the point. Do you care about that? Do you care about their souls? Do you care about them as an individual? They may not care about you. I'm just going to be flat out honest. Teens are selfish. We are all young here. We all know. I mean, it was not that long ago and we still have those selfish moments, but somebody's got to be the adult here, the older one who, regardless of whether they care about you or not, do you care? And if you do, I think it speaks to what Jack said. You know, telling them all the war stories, which is another, maybe this is a different podcast idea as well. We are obsessed and fascinated with our glory days. This is why everybody talks about college. The being greatest the glory generation. Days. Oh, yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. Well, yeah, just, just the, well, that too, the glory days of America. But, you know, the glory days, our glory days of, we assume everybody wants to hear about our glory days. You know what? How about you talk to them about their days and how about you look forward to the future and say that, hey, some good is still can still come in this. It just drives me nuts that people continue to talk about college as the glory days. But I think older folks can get into this of recalling the past over and over and over. And, you know, if you care about those that younger generation, Jack's question is, is profound. It's perfect. How are you really doing? Um, again, as I said earlier, they may not respond first thing they may not be uh, gung-ho about opening up and sharing their stories um but just as jack just mentioned with his story he did do that and was kind of shut down uh don't please don't be that um please be something and and the other point and then i'll kind of shut up about this point but as far as the older goes 
be someone you would respect. Be someone you would respect. Would you respect as a younger person? Would you respect somebody who doesn't very, know very much Bible, doesn't really speak up in class, doesn't say anything to anybody on Sunday morning hardly, you know, shows up and leaves? Would you respect that person? Would you be open? Would you be want to be mentored by that person? Probably not. So, are you the type of person that is worthy? And and this speaks to the younger is worthy of respect. I'll say this. I'll give this caveat. We respect the position for all you younger people going. You know, well, the older people in my congregation just aren't worthy of my respect. That's garbage. God has given them that value and that worth, and the, their position certainly is worthy of respect, whether you think the world of them or not. At the same time, for you older people, are you doing things worthy of respect? Are you doing things that the older, or that the younger generation can look to and say, "I want to be like that when I'm older. How can I do that?" Um, that opens the gap. That that bridges the gap just as much and opens the conversation just as much if you can just look inside and say, you know. Do I care about them? How are they really doing? And am I somebody that they would want to open up to that they would respect? Well, and, and we've already touched on this briefly, but if you want to go to the to the New Testament and look at what is the perfect example of the generations interacting in a, in a biblical fashion, Titus 2 is the place to go. Um, and, and on Joe's point about, you know, you're going to have to be the adult in the room and actually, you know, be that individual that's going to reach out and be mature. If you look at Titus chapter two and, you know, he's talking to the older men and the older women, you know, interacting with the younger generations, you look at verse four that they talking about the older women admonish the young women. And then you get down to, to verse six, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober minded. Who is that putting the responsibility on in both of those verses? It's putting the responsibility on the older generation, exhort the young men, uh, admonish the younger women, that is the biblical picture that that Paul paints, you know, through the inspiration of God is this is how spiritual knowledge, this is how taking care of a household, this is how uh, various biblical characteristics and traits that we are to have, this is how they get passed on from generation to generation. Older men, older women taking, you know, younger men and younger women and showing them, teaching them all these things that we've been talking about throughout this episode but who is the onus on? Who is the responsibility on? It's on the older generation, the younger, or it's on the older generation to reach out to the younger generation and teach them those things. The easiest thing in the world is to be a critic and think that you're providing correction. Oh, you know, millennials, young people, they're, they're lazy, they're selfish, they're, you know, participation trophy, this, that, you know, all, all of those criticisms that we see, that's not helpful. It, it has to be in the context of a loving relationship because if you don't care enough for a person to put the time into them, then when you have criticisms for them, they're just going to hear it as a shot fired and then they're going to shoot back and then you got the generation war struck up again. And so, you know, Will mentioned Titus 2. Another one I like uh, is Hebrews 3. talks about, you know, let none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage one another day after day. He circles back to that in Hebrews 10, you know, famously of, of not forsaking the assembling of yourselves, but it's in the context of consider one another and how to stimulate one another to love and good works. Basically, figure out how I can encourage my Christian brethren from falling away. How can I encourage them to grow in the faith? Guess what? Every passing day you're a Christian, you have more responsibility for that than the day before. The more and more mature you are, the more responsibility you have for your Christian family around you. And so, take that responsibility. I always think it's interesting in Deuteronomy 6 where, where Moses is talking about you know, pass this on to your children when you rise up and you lie down. He doesn't just say to fathers, but to grandfathers as well. To your children and to your grandchildren, do these things. This is multi-generational thing. We, they didn't have the nuclear family like we have in America. They had 
uh, you know tribes they had your your mom your dad your grandma your grandpa your grandparents on both sides aunts and uncles big family um we might not have that in in our culture today you might be a thousand miles away from grandparents but you can have spiritual grandparents and grandparents you know the spiritual older people should be trying to be a spiritual grandparent to younger people in the church uh, that's what all of these verses are telling us and so it has to go both ways and as i said it might not sound fair I do think biblically the initiative is more heavily on the older Christians. I know this being a podcast, the listenership is going to skew to the younger generation. I also know from when I wrote articles on this a year ago, the older are going to say, well, what about the younger? And the younger are going to say, well, what about the older? Or one's going to think, man, you were harder on them than you were on me. Again, the answer to get out of this, whichever side of the equation you're on, is not to be prideful. To think, what can I do? To, to think about the other person rather than ourselves. And if there's criticism that applies to you, take it and, and run this, with it. This can be fixed. And I think that's something we want to make sure yes. to close with is the fact that, you know, we spend all this time, you know, belaboring and, uh, you know, talking about how this is such a big issue. Well, it can be fixed, right? This is fixable. It's not something where we just throw up our hands and say, oh, well, not much we can do about it. No all the things that we've been discussing, all the, the scriptures that have been brought up, this is something that can be fixed. It's just, it's going to take, you know, letting your pride down. It's going to take effort. It's going to take initiative. It's going to take getting out of your comfort zone. And for anybody that's listening to this, you know, hopefully prayerfully wanting to fix the generational gap, wanting to change things, just understand, be ready to make an effort, be ready. Just like we talked about with our last podcast episode, a couple of episodes with the improving yourself, talking about goals and, and new year's resolutions, get ready to show that initiative, get ready to make that effort, be intentional about it. Because one thing we don't want to leave this podcast with is, is everybody thinking it's all gloom and doom, right? Nothing we can do about it. Yeah. Certainly not the case. It can be fixed, but it's going to take effort and it's going to take intention. Here's what I would love. What I would think would be really cool. Um, Maybe some for me to think about. Find an older person in your life, grandparent, somebody at church that maybe you you do have a bit of a connection with. This is, I think it would be really cool to sit down with them, get a puzzle, something like that, maybe something a little mindless, you know, put on this podcast, listen to it together with them, and then have a really good discussion, a dialogue about how that can be fixed, how that can be bridged. Um, I'm thinking off the top of my head here. I mean, maybe that's a, a good idea. Maybe it's not, but I think getting here it's not really about our podcast our podcast is not here to solve the world's problems our podcast is to it's point not? out some of those well man when we get off we'll uh yeah. first my bubble uh, yeah i was gonna yeah, say i sorry, think joe's gonna I be kicked told off you. the show because will and i that was our goal exactly <laughs> should have told you guys that before um but you know it's it's calling attention to some issues and saying well maybe this is how it can be worked out i'm i'm with will be positive about this i'm positive that that this can be i'm yeah, I'm positive that it can be fixed. No, I'm not positive it can be fixed, but I, I feel positively about the fact that I do think it can be fixed. Um, and so maybe sitting down with somebody and being able to go over this with them or have this conversation, just see where both sides are. It's about increasing the communication, increasing the the love that we have for each other. Um, and if this podcast can serve as an open door for that conversation, great. If you don't need this podcast to serve as an open door, great. Have that conversation either way. Um, just start talking about it, addressing it, and figuring out how we can how we can be better. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good positive note to end on. Um, not doom and gloom, not bashing each other over the head, 
older Christians bring tremendous value to the table, and we have to get back to whether our society wants to or not. We've got to get to elevating them to honor. Younger people need to be looked on as positive energy that should be trained, and and not just trained, but set into responsibility. Um, Use the the energy they're bringing to the table. Uh, As always, we're going to go ahead and close with uh, sermon thoughts. Uh, I need a catchy title for that, uh, whatever segment we're going to end up calling this. Uh, Two minutes on something you've been teaching lately. Uh, I'll start. I made Joe start last time, you know, kind of spur of the moment. Uh, I'm a little bit different than these guys. I'm not preaching every single Sunday or, or a majority of Sundays out of the month, but I do teach uh, regularly. And one of the things that, that we've been going over as a congregation at Decatur uh, recently has been just this idea of first principles, kind of reinforcing the uh, the basics, if you will, kind of the fundamentals about why, why we're Christians in the first place. You know, what what makes the Bible worth believing? What are things that we need to know? And so just going off of the re- most recent uh, topic that we've been discussing in our Bible classes is the idea from 1 Corinthians 12. What is the what is the body of Christ actually supposed to look like? You know, we think about, Jack, I know you've written quite a bit about this, the idea of, well, it currently right now looks like a consumer mentality. It looks like, you know, a business, an organization where you've got 90% of the people who are doing uh, well, you get 10% of the people doing 90% of the work and it's very consumeristic. And so we were, we've been looking at first Corinthians chapter 12. Um, you know, Paul's very good analogy. Uh, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not the body. Is it therefore not of the body? You know, he goes through all these different, um, parts of the body and says, no, each one has value. Each one has a function and you can't look at uh, another member of the body and say, well, that doesn't, that's not necessary. That that's not useful. And so we just kind of been, been going over that the last several weeks and looking at, we think about how the body of Christ is structured currently, how members think, you know, uh, the church is laid out elders, deacons, all those things. But what about members? How does that look culturally, culturally, how does that look societally, but how does that supposed to look biblically using first Corinthians 12 um, as a, as a, as a basis for it? Nice. Um, Yeah. For me, um, I think I discussed this last time. I'm still on prayer been thinking a lot about prayer, been thinking about the pitfalls, things that we get into um, of just things that hinder our prayer life, right? Um, We hedge our prayers. We always have a plan B. We keep them very physical, um, praying for safety, praying for people to be healed, but we're not really, I don't think we pray enough for spiritual. Um, What else did I have on the list? Um, I had split into two different sermons, um, keep them minimal. We hand the God of the universe. We, we hand the most powerful guy in the universe, a five pound weight, you know, give him some big things talked about but in this last one there's the first three and in this last sermon i preached last sunday um i'll just speak to one point in particular that i think i got some really good feedback on um it's not even particularly biblical but i've been at this um two-week sexual addiction program that i've been um doing therapy at helping them and uh with every guy all the clients that i have they all have a negative relationship with their dad and, and that affects their relationship with god so one of the points i made in my sermon that I just make here um, that I find to be just fascinating. We know the role of fathers in scripture are very important, no doubt. Um, but what we notice in therapy is if your relationship with God is bad, how's your relationship with your, with your earthly father, with your dad? Um, that's going to affect is your dad abusive. You probably think that God is trying to punish you or God is mean was your dad aloof or absent? You might feel that God is aloof or absent. Um, was your dad sporadically there and sporadically not? You may struggle with feeling that God is always there to listen. So 
um, your relationship with your dad very much affects your relationship with God. And just be, that's, that's kind of what I was saying is it's not, I can't really point to a scripture to prove that, but it's something we notice quite a bit of. And that speaks to two things. First off, the role of fathers and how important that is. But second off, understanding that, you know, uh, having a deeper understanding of God, that God is all loving. He is, he, he cares for you. He is always there. He wants to hear from you. Um, and sometimes that, I didn't say this in the sermon um, explicitly, but sometimes that takes therapy to work through your relationship with your dad so you can better understand how God loves you and how God cares. But that's just been on my mind a lot recently talking with these guys here. And something I plan on doing more study in is family dynamics in scripture and how the role of the father, I think you could point to Jacob and his 12 sons and how the role of the father affects things. So that's what's been on my mind. Interesting stuff. Um, mine, I, I just did a lesson on John three sixteen actually, and, and I started off talking about how as a preacher, sometimes there's the temptation to find a, a new angle and not like a new teaching and changing doctrine or whatever, but some deeper thing. You know, last time I shared a thing from Mark and the way the text structures itself, and you're always looking for kind of that that cool thing that nobody's heard. Sometimes you just need to read a verse like John three sixteen and read it line by line and say, what is this saying and what does it mean? And I've known this as long as I've been a Christian and even before, and everybody knows John three sixteen. but wow, when you just sit and hover on it for a little bit, you know, that God so loved the world. Well, what is the world? You, you read through John's gospel. The world is uh, under the power of Satan. The world hates Jesus. The world hates his disciples. The world rejected the light. The world is in darkness. Um, that's who God loved so much. That he gave his only begotten son. The highest price for anything that has ever been paid that he didn't have to do. That he had to come to earth, take on this human body, live in poverty, be, be threatened with death from the minute he was born. Uh, going to persecution, being uh, beaten, nailed to a cross. All of that that he gave uh, just, again, for the world, for all these these people that were turned against God and that were the darkness that shrunk away from the light, that he loved enough that he did that. Um, that whoever believes in him, you define believe by John 3.36, whoever believes but does not obey. Believe means, you know, believing in such a way as to act on your belief. Um, and then eternal life. But in John, he defines eternal life not as a really long time after you die. He defines it as starting the minute you become a Christian. That eternal life, John 17, 3, is knowing God. That's your eternal life. And he says in 1 John 5, 13, that you can know you have eternal life. Currently, right now. You as a Christian, in John's definition of the word, which is different than it's used elsewhere, but not contradictorily, it just is, it builds in a different direction. You have eternal life right now. That life abundant Jesus spoke about in John 10, 10. Enjoy it. Use it. And the, the basis of that life abundant is the love of God. Uh, real quickly, I'm not following the two-minute thing too well, but that's okay. Uh, I spoke about, or I, I started it with the highest auction ever for a painting was in 2017. It was a Da Vinci that went for $450 million. Now, it was some air, it was the, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia was the guy that bought it. But you wouldn't have to know who it is to know three things. Number one, he's got a lot of money. Number two, the painting meant a lot to him. It, was, it had a lot of value for it. Three, he had a purpose for the painting. Whether that was to lock it away, to store value for his kids and grandkids, whether it was to display it in his palace, whatever it was, he had a use for it. You think about the price God paid for you. It tells you, number one, God is very, very wealthy. And Ephesians tells us he's rich in love and mercy and grace toward us. Uh, God is very wealthy. Number two, it tells you how much he values what he purchased. 
He values me and you on that level, to the level of the blood of Jesus Christ. And number three, that he has a purpose for it. He didn't just buy it for nothing. He didn't just buy it to say, okay, and you get to go, you know, enjoy an eternal vacation. No, he bought it for a relationship with him. He bought it for obedience, for development, for all the things that he does to the Christian life. And so... Um, Interesting. Yeah, John 3.16 is... Very good. Is basic, like I said... It I thought you... Most, I thought you weren't trying to look for a new angle. That, that's a pretty new angle for me. <laughs> well, I was going to say it's an illustration. It's literally an illustration. <laughs> literally, yep. Yeah, because the other thing is, it was supposedly, is it allegedly? It's not even confirmed, but allegedly, uh, Da Vinci's painting of Christ. Uh, wow, the Savior of the world is what it's called, Salvatore Mundi. So, it's a it's a pretty powerful thing. So anyway, you sound pretty good at this preaching thing. Maybe you should try it out more often. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He, he definitely went over two minutes. That's I, for sure. did, I did. I <laughs> did. Yeah, that's You right. can tell I'm a preacher because, yeah, I got time limits he has and nothing to me. Even the three points at the end. That's pretty good. Yeah, I did. I Yeah, I did that's a three point. Good. You're right. And I just needed the alliteration to hit all the, the, the boxes there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. All right. Um, that's going to get us out of here for today. I don't think we have set what next week is going to be at, have we? No, we have not. We have not. And so it's going to be a surprise next week. We will talk about it when we're off uh, and and come back to you guys next week with another episode. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe, uh, YouTube, your podcast app, wherever it is you're getting this. Uh, leave a rating for us if you're enjoying it. Tell a friend or, or post to, to social media. Um, I hope it's been a blessing, and uh, we will talk to you guys next week. Mm-hmm.